Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Daniel Batten. Now, Daniel is an environmentalist. He's a climate tech investor and co-founder of CH4 Capital. And CH4 Capital, their mission is to accelerate humanity's response to removing methane from our atmosphere. And Daniel talks about how to do that through methane mitigation and so many other things. So it was a pleasure to have Daniel on the show and talk about something near and dear to progressives, which is the environment and our climate crisis and how Bitcoin can actually address a lot of those things, believe it or not. So we talk about some of that. But in this episode, we did something a little different. So Daniel has been on episodes recently talking about his work with uh, climate tech, methane mitigation, Bitcoin mining all of those fun things, which we'll include articles in and we've been posting about from our social handles as well. But in this conversation, we focused on how do we have conversations with folks about these things, how to have constructive conversations with folks that lead to narrative change. Because that's one thing we've noticed over the past year or so is there has been a narrative change about Bitcoin mining from mainstream media and other academic articles suggesting that Bitcoin mining could actually do a lot of positive things for the environment. When a year or two ago, all we were seeing was negative news articles about Bitcoin mining. So this has been a really positive um, motivation and just kind of a positive element of the Bitcoin community um, and climate tech and things like that. So this has been a really uh, encouraging thing that we've seen in the space. So Danny and I got to talk about that a little bit as well. And in his book that uh, focuses on that, which I'll be sure to include in the show notes as well, encourage you all to get a copy of. So really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you'll share this one widely as well with your environmentally conscious friends. Uh, If you're a fellow progressive or concerned about climate change, please look into Daniel and his work and what he's doing and follow along with us as we share more of those incredible stories about Bitcoin and its positive impact on climate. Um, So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, be sure to check out our promo links to SAS Mining, speaking of renewable uh, Bitcoin mining, you can take advantage of the promo link for SAS Mining to get $50 off each miner you order. And then off of Bitbox as well, get 5% off uh, any order from Bitbox. So thank you to our sponsors and thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback at all for us or want to get in touch, you can always reach out to me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. All right, I'll let you get to the episode. Enjoy, and we'll see you again next week. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. How are you this morning, your time? Yeah, great to be here. Um, Always a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, awesome. Um, Yeah, we had a pretty fun spaces just a couple of months ago, and I know you've been you know, making the rounds and staying busy and to, to preface for the audience as well, you had, you had reached out and touch base and said, Hey, for our conversation, you know, let's have a little bit of a different conversation. Um, you know, through the progressive Bitcoiner, we've been sharing a ton of articles and research about Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin mining being positive for the environment, methane mitigation, and a lot of the work that you're focused on. And we'll continue sharing that. I'm sure it'll trickle into this conversation as well. But um, you've talked about that quite a bit, I think, on some podcasts recently through articles and things like that. Yes, for sharing. Yeah, yeah so, some people must be sick of listening to me talking about the same talking points all the time, right. which is but, part of the, the prompt for this. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is good, though. It's a good problem to have in terms of like, okay, we feel like we're at a point where we've been pushing the narrative out quite a bit about methane mitigation and we'll continue to do so. But why don't you frame for the audience what you had reached out to me about um, in terms of what we're, we're going to be talking about today. 
Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this because this is something that I haven't talked about before. And it's really uh, coming out of the closet with what the work that I did before I became actually involved in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that's that I work and still do a lot with um, leaders, influencers, founders of technology companies to help them to be better communicators, better leaders, uh, to win more pitches. And I even wrote this book, which is just, I'll do an unashamed plug for it. It's just had a second edition that's come out. And I was reading through it and I had this interesting experience where I wrote that book six years ago. And I don't know if you've had this experience, Trey, but when you're really close to your own work, you really don't know whether it's good or not. So Mm -hmm. I, yep. People told me it was good, but I couldn't glean that for myself because I was too close. Like All I could see was the faults. Mm-hmm. But then when I, I read through the second edition, and I had this moment where for the first time I could read it like a reader, and I was like, this is good. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was I could uh, see that I'd been a good student of my own material because I'd been using a lot of those principles in how I talk about Bitcoin and how I talk about Bitcoin mining and how I talk about how it's great for the environment. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool to share some of the things that I found are really important in terms of influencing people who are standing at the edge of accepting Bitcoin, who may have some misgivings, who may even be negative towards it. Uh, We won't talk about the ones who are so negative that they've got confirmation bias because that's kind of probably not a great use of our energy. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it is when we're communicating to people who don't yet get Bitcoin, there's probably 20% of people that even if you don't explain yourself very well, they'll be on board with it. Mm -hmm. And then there's another 20% that no matter how good you are at communicating, they won't be on board with it. But what we really care about is the 60% in the middle, where depending on how we frame our communication and what we say to those people, we'll either make a decision to get on board or not. And those are the people where it's not just the inherent merits of Bitcoin uh, that are going to persuade them, but it's how we, we, we communicate that message. And that's really what I wanted to, to share today. Uh, and yeah. kind of like let people behind the mag- magic curtain and um, share a little bit about what I do. And I'll preface this by saying that the stuff in the book and the, the stuff I do only works when you're telling the truth. So it's not about yeah. spin. It's not about manipulation. It's really about the process of when you have a kernel of incredible uh, value, and you have some truth, but the truth is not yet widely understood, how do you communicate that truth? So it's more like the process of you have some gold, but it's stuck in some rock. And how do you extract it from the rock so that people see the gold and they see its potential and they get excited about it? But it only works if there is some gold there to start with. So if someone from our opponent's side were to listen to this podcast and try and use these techniques against Bitcoin, it, it wouldn't work because they don't actually have the supporting facts and so they have to resort to fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which is the opposite of the principles that I espouse. And I, I think one of the the reasons I think you've been so influential in this space and influential for me too is because, you know, for a long time now, I've, even doing this podcast, but prior to Bitcoin, been from the left, progressive, caring about a lot of these issues, including the environment and environmentalism. And one thing I really appreciate about your approach that um, there are a lot of folks doing good work out there like you're doing, but there's so much noise in the climate action space. And I, I have a feeling I can understand where it's coming from, especially in my millennial generation or Gen Z is because of the angst and anger about nothing changing and happening. Right. So we see protests, you see movements. And then I was getting more and more jaded 
whether it was pol with politics or environmental action, that nothing was really changing, right? Like all of these, vo like what what is happening? What are we actually doing? Um, what are we actually trying to solve? And your approach, you you coming in into the Bitcoin space, and then myself as well, looking through Bitcoin, proposing actual actions and solutions, and using these techniques to actually talk about it. It's this marriage that more climate activist. And I think you would consider yourself probably more in the climate tech space as well in terms of actually solutions. These are the things I want to get out to those climate activists more or to hopefully folks that will stumble upon and listen to this conversation that are from this generation that want us to do something about climate change, that are really concerned about it, um, proposing solutions that they haven't been presented yet and flipping that narrative. And, and you and we, um, have been winning so far. And it, I'm feeling so overwhelmingly positive about it right now, which is not a feeling I always have um, in this space, but it, it's, a, it's a good feeling right now. And, and you know why we're winning? It's because you and other people have been taking the approach of sharing inspiring stories. Mm. And that is something that the climate movement has been starving for. Yeah, that's very true. And the, the approach of... Uh, beating up on people who are doing the wrong thing, that gets tiring after a while because mm. you're surrounded and fighting something n negative. Yeah. And the danger is that you s lose sight of the importance of also just sharing inspiring stories of people who are doing the right thing. Mm. And so it's tremendously important. One of the things that I've always encouraged people in the Bitcoin space to do is stop just trying to play from your side of halfway. And defending Bitcoin by this me tooism of saying, well, it's not using as much energy as them over there because immediately you're going to be accused of me tooism and mm. legitimately so because that's what you're doing. Whereas you're much better to say, hey, yeah, it's true. It uses a lot of energy. And you know what? Environmentalists like Saul Griffiths are saying that we actually need flexible users of energy in order to accelerate the renewable revolution. Mm -hmm. And that kind of scrambles people's brain because then they're not expecting you to say that. Now, it's one thing, it's true. Um, second, it's supported by an increasing consensus of environmentalists. Um, and the third thing, it's just good, anchored in good economic principles where if you want a renewable transition, you need more demand for energy. Well, where's that yeah. demand going to come from? And it needs to be more flexible as well. And we know the reasons why about counterbalancing the intimacy of renewable energy. And increasingly, this has been supported. Bitcoin mining companies have been saying this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now the scientific literature and the journalistic articles are coming out, which is supporting what they've been saying for a long time. So it's well-founded. And that's a, a much better repost uh, than to try and justify by mm -hmm. saying, we're not using as much as those people. Right. So you've been a great espouser of, of that message, just sharing positive stories. And positive story sharing um, you know, creates more positivity and more people gain hope and it's just it's a nicer uh, river to swim in i find if you're uh, sharing inspiration rather than attacking the entire time as well it's not to say that we shouldn't point out people doing the wrong thing of course yeah. but if we're spending 100 percent of our time doing that we're going to get jaded and it's ultimately not going to inspire other people to want to join that movement yeah and i think anything with um I mean, the climate crisis, there's this thing of uh, immediate action, right? This this sense of immediacy. But then also with Bitcoin, there's this sense of long-term, right? So so I think people taking the approach and people who are in, in Bitcoin or people who are looking for, for change, positive change, most times that takes a very long time, e even though we want it immediately, right? And I think part of the problem with 
you know, climate protesters and activists of, of many different kinds is getting swept up in social media narratives and social media, right? So social media, traditional social media and X and Twitter and what we all use and look at, um, it amplifies negativity, right? So you're going to see a lot more negative politicking, a lot more negative reactions on things. Um, so even some of the positive stories I'm posting long-term, I think they play well short-term. If I post something that's negative from our Twitter account, and I was just having a conversation with someone about this in terms of just content engagement and things like that. Like if I rip Elizabeth Warren, a new one on, on Twitter, which sometimes I will do. And I think feel called to do as someone who's in Massachusetts as a progressive, all of these things, right? It's important to do that sometimes, like you mentioned but the engagement goes through the roof, right? Not just because Bitcoiners are like, yes, but because the algorithm is fit for that, right? And so I, I think a lot of people get swept up in it and, and the social media factor of these uh, this misinformation, these misguided, let, let's focus on something positive, these solutions has caused many different uh, activist groups to to be led astray. And, and I get it's it's hard not to be with, with the incentives. Um, so yeah, sharing positive stories about Bitcoin and positive outcomes short term. Yeah. But over time, what we've seen and the good work you're doing is they're, they're paying off quite well. Well, I want, I want to share something with you about how you can even get some of those algorithms working in your favor by sharing positive stories. So, yeah. Oh, please do. You, yeah. So look, I'll use an example of today. There was an article in the independent and, uh, first things first, you, you can't, so let's take a mess. let's take a step back because we were take a step we were, back from this be, before we um before this we jump into recording. Yeah, before we and also I'm drinking. It looks like I'm just getting wasted on this podcast for the YouTube. <laughs> so I, I this is a non-alcoholic. Yeah, beer, what is that? Just for people okay. to know, just it's just really important framing there. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm sober. I mean, it, it's fine to have a beer too. But um, so non-alcoholic beer, you know, just throwing back beers on this celebration for this uh, article we're discussing. But no, we were just discussing right before recording. And I'm like, oh, we got to get this on the recording. It's just uh, today what you were just about to say. More mainstream media coming through, but this being a really big deal. So just continue with what you were about to say, because it's a... Yeah, absolutely. So I couldn't believe it when I saw it. So th there has been a study recently by Cornell University, which is significant in itself because yeah. that's shown in a really reputable journal, uh, ACS Chemistry, which is widely recognized. It's one of the ones you can quote on Wikipedia, some of them aren't. Uh, the author of that article, I was speaking to someone who knows him and he says he's recognized as God in his field and he knows Bitcoin mining, which has been missing from a lot of the uh, journals that have gone through the first wave of scientific publications. And I was watching and I was watching and I was saying, is anyone going to pick this up? Is anyone going to pick it up? And on a regular basis, I will search like almost daily mm. on articles which are linked to Bitcoin mining sustainability. And then I saw this one from the Independent and I did this double take and I'm like, hang on, because I know who the Independent are. Mm. Uh, anyway, so what I'm go going to go through is how I wrote that up. So I wrote that at 8.30 New Zealand time. This morning, it's got 147 retweets. So it's getting more than one retweet per minute, which is pr pretty good. Now, that's partly because this is such a newsworthy event, uh, but it's also because it's really important that we frame the significance of these articles. So we, if I just put it up there and say, hey, the independent's just written that, it might have got, I would say, about a quarter of the engagement. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So part of what we need to do is capture these moments in history. So if a new study comes out or if a, a journalistic article comes out, we need to tell people the significance of that because people don't know for themselves. And we need mm-hmm. to share how that's just one event and an overall turning of the tide. And if we can do that, then it creates a legitimate sense of, you know, the tide is turning, it creates excitement, it creates positivity, and it radiates. And the other intention with my tweet is I wanted it to be a tweet that Bitcoiners felt really comfortable sharing with their non-Bitcoiner friends. Mm -hmm. So it had to use language which was non-jargon, and it had to um, not be too overstated. Uh, And also things that they could use with people in the scientific community. So it's quite mild in some of its claims. So I'm just going to go through it. I said, so I got the article. I said, this is significant. I said, the independent, a liberal leaning UK major news source with a monthly reach of 19.8 million people just ran the Cornell University study whose findings suggest Bitcoin mining could supercharge transition to renewables. So but Daniel, I, um, I shared that on the screen as well. So for, for folks oh, that watch on YouTube, uh, they could see what we're, let me zoom in, in a little bit. They could see what awesome. we're, we're talking about here for, for those listening. Um, yeah, you just, you said it there, but. Now I just want to look at, um, take you to the, the opening paragraph because this uses some ideas that you can all recycle. The first thing is it's really important to quantify stuff. Uh, so you don't just say the independent has a wide reach. You find out exactly how many people that it reaches. So I searched Wikipedia. I found out that data because the key idea here is people believe things which are quantified. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really key. You'll notice in a lot of my stuff, I'm a data geek, right? I, I go into the numbers. I quote the decimal points. It's not just because I'm a geek and I like maths. There's a very important psychological reason for that. And when I first came to... Uh, get interested in Bitcoin, what I found was there was a lot of claims that were valid, but they weren't quantified. Mm. So for example, Bitcoin helps the renewable transition. I said, well, how much does it help? Uh, Okay. Then the other claim, which was, well, Bitcoin helps make renewable operators more profitable. Well, how much more profitable? Uh, Bitcoin uses curtailed energy. How much curtailed energy? Mm. And that data was not available. It's becoming more available now. But the problem is that if you don't have those numbers and percentages, it can sound like greenwash. And so the only way to get out of this debate about whether it's greenwash is if you show data and you show that it's meaningful. And so now we know, for example, that Bitcoin can stop 4% of all curtailment, that it, that, that can result in renewable operators being 16% more curtailable, uh, uh, more profitable rather. Mm-hmm. That's starting to sound significant, particularly if they put that money back into more renewable transition. Cornell has started to quantify that 32 renewable operators, they can get... I think it was $47 million of extra profit if they do Bitcoin mining. Mm. That's $47 million more renewable operation. Now, just in my mind right now, I'm thinking we actually know the figure of a dollar invested per um, carbon emission reduced. So it wouldn't be too much of a stretch of uh, fantasy. In fact, it would be highly accurate to then do the next calculation, which is say $47 million. Here's the carbon mitigation of that, which Bitcoin is, is contributing. Mm-hmm. So we can start to quantify some of this data, and then you start to shift the narrative. Um, it's also important that you say you know, who it's from, like Cornell University, you frame it saying, look, it's not just any old newspaper, it's a liberal newspaper, and, and they have traditionally bagged Bitcoin. Yep. So it's capturing the, the narrative shift. Um, and then I say that. This represents, so two things. The, the paper's author is highly respected in his field, and I've got the quote to his Wikipedia link with all of his credentials and awards. 
And I've also said this represents a shift for the independent who previously have ran negative ESG press about Bitcoin. Mm. Joining Bloomberg and the Financial Times as publications who have published pro-Bitcoin ESG articles for the first time in 2023. And then I just quote some of the acknowledgements in the article and say, this is not surprising to us in the Bitcoin network, but it's basically nice to see the rest of the world getting on board. Mm-hmm. So, so again, that's important because it's giving that context. It's saying this is not a one-off. There's been three this year, three major publication, mainstream publication, who for the first time have started to publish pro-Bitcoin ESG stories. These are the messages that we need to keep reinforcing. Why? Because we should trust journalists? No, most Bitcoiners don't trust journalists. But the reality is that a lot of baby boomers still do. Mm -hmm. And there'll be some other ones that you're looking to convince who might be running NGOs or might be running uh, ESG investment committees. So we have to get used to engaging with people who think differently from us, who trust sources different from us, and use the sources which they regard, not the ones that we regard, because not about us. We're already convinced. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's part of the reason why I think, Trey, the work you're doing, this isn't just to flatter you, but it's just my objective assessment. Uh, it's as a community of people, the progressives, the ones who care about ESG and the environment and the social impacts of Bitcoin, they're actually much, much, much more relevant right now to the narrative shift than any other group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is very simple. It's because that they're at the intersection point. You're not going to convince an ESG investment committee or an NGO head uh, to adopt Bitcoin by coming in and saying, that renewables is all just a commie scam and they're unreliable. Um, You're not going to convince them to change their minds by saying that ESG is all based on uh, Malthusian assumptions which are flawed and we should abandon it completely because it's a fiat scam. You will engage them by showing how by the parameters, you're not going to change your mind any more than you're going to try and change a climate denier's uh, mind about climate change by having an intellectual debate with that person. So your energy is much better expended to accept the frame that they see the world from and show how it meets the things that they care about. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use, and it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. And I, and I appreciate that. I, I think that that was one of the reasons even coming into this and wanting to do this. A, I care about these things. B, I am a progressive, all of these things. But you know, I was becoming to get really, really worried. I think more than even friends I had in the space or definitely other Bitcoiners who don't care for some of these conversations, I was beginning to come become worried because I I feel like I know a lot of those folks in the NGO space, as I was just talking to you about, in the environmental space, get a sense from people that I know that have worked in political offices in DC, in various states, you know, beginning to worry about this narrative about Bitcoin in, in really serious ways and not just stopping at, well, Bitcoin will win because it's the best tech. Um, you know, over time. And I'm like, yeah, I do I do feel that in a lot of regards. I think the market incentives and I think a lot of things will come into favor with 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 Bitcoin. But I was getting really, really worried about whatever positive the most positive impacts that can come from Bitcoin, especially for the environment, 
especially in people being able to use it as freely as they want and self-custody and all these things, I was beginning to get really worried about the regulatory landscape for this and just the narrative and the political pressure on it. Um, that was one of the reasons I wanted to do this and want to do this daily is because I'm, I'm still worried about that um, and, and still feeling that, but I'm, I'm getting less and less worried, but it's because of putting out things like this that you're describing. We have to keep going. Yeah, exactly. Can I share a little bit just of, um, there's basically four things that I think are super important when you're having conversations with people. So I I look at influence in terms of, um, there's the message, obviously you're delivering, and that tends to be the only thing people look at, but it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. What's even more important than the actual message is the mindset that you're in when you're delivering that message. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because that will heavily influence how influential you are. Yeah. in convincing someone uh, to have a second look at Bitcoin, whether it's your friend, whether it's an investment committee, whether it's someone at an NGO, uh, whether it's a regulator, fill in the blank. The third component is how you're delivering that information. We know, uh, I'm sure, Trey, if I said, hey, there's this is a great movie, do you want to come see it? It's a great script. The actor's crapped. The acting's no good, but the script's wonderful. You're probably not so enthusiastic. Yeah, but like, oh, I got better plans. Yeah, <laughs> you got better plans. Exactly. So we all want to see that message delivered well. And here, we, we're not just a scriptwriter of these messages. We have to deliver it well. And so, what does that mean? And and how do we deliver it in such a way it's more likely to be heard than not? Mm. And then the fourth component is we've got to be tactically smart about how we deliver it. Mm. And so. Um, I ran through a bunch of things, so I go through this in my book, but the ones that I use uh, repeatedly is delivering. It's really important to pause a lot, and I'll I'll talk about why. There's a very important psychological reason for that. It's really important to frame your message. I talked a little bit about that when I was reading out that tweet. So you give it context. You quantify data. you, you put it in the bigger picture. As you were talking about before, the climate movement is very, uh, we want action now. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that framing is zooming out and going, hey, did you know that solar actually took 40 years before it started to pay off its carbon footprint? And it took 54 years before it completely paid it off. Mm-hmm. If we had had the same knee-jerk reaction to solar, we would have banned it uh, yeah. back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And that context can really help people to zoom out and say, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. We've got to take a more long-term look at these things. So framing is super important. Um, Using story, using analogy, uh, asking people questions rather than making statements has been proven to be much more influential. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, if you hear someone quote some statistics which you know are out of date, rather than just saying those are completely out of date, you might say, well, are you aware that those are old numbers? Mm. And that's going to invite, and then they'll get curious. I'll say, oh, well, what do you mean? They say, well, well, they come from three years ago. Oh, okay, well, so what? We say, well, are you aware that there's been a significant movement in those three years to, towards more renewable-based energy? Uh, and in fact, that Bloomberg has now quoted this, and they've said that we've now hit 50%, and this is based on one month ago, not three years ago. Right, right. So now you're in a conversation. Now you're in engaging interest. Uh, and then also making bold statements is important. Bold statements that you can back up with data. Mm. So this is one thing I've been really big on. So again, rather than play from your side of halfway and try to have the end goal be to convince people that Bitcoin is not as bad for the environment as you think, where, where the best you can get is a concession that it's marginally less destructive. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the best you can get. Yep. Uh, that's not inspiring for me to have that conversation. It's probably not inspiring for the other person to get to that point of realization. Right. Is to look and say, what's the boldest thing you could claim which the evidence supports? And that's really important. Mm. So it's not hype. It's not unsupported. It has to be factually supported by evidence. You're not overstating, but nor are you understating. Mm. And you ask yourself that question, what's the boldest claim that I can possibly make? And that was something that I had to ask myself when I was doing this keynote in Lugano recently. And I asked the question, well, I was tossing up between whether the talk was going to be called Bitcoin is one of the best ESG assets in the world and Bitcoin is the best ESG asset in the world. And I thought, yeah. well, I don't want to overstate it. So maybe I should go with the weaker claim. But then I looked at the data and I'm like, no, actually, that would lack integrity. Because mm -hmm. the data is actually telling me on six different measures that it's the best. Yeah. So the reason I went for that was I asked, what's the boldest claim that I can make that is supported by data? And I think sometimes we're a little bit too cautious not to make bold claims because we're afraid people say that's nonsense, that's hype, that's greenwash. Yeah. Uh, whereas a better tack is to go, okay, what if that were true? Let's investigate whether it is and let's see what the supporting data is. If the data doesn't support it, then yes, you weaken your claim. Mm -hmm. But go for the boldest claim you can possibly make. Uh, so these are the, the techniques that you can use repeatedly. And, and I absolutely guarantee that you'll get a much better uh, response from people by using that approach. I want to give one example. So I first encountered the power of this when one of the investors in our uh, second climate tech fund. So as you know, I've been doing climate tech investing for a little while now. Mm -hmm. So investing in technologies that basically reduce emissions. And it was from that standpoint that I became first interested in Bitcoin. It wasn't because that I believed in sound money. I didn't at the time. Or I did believe in sound money, but I didn't know Bitcoin's solution. That came much sure. later. Yep. Can you frame um, for time, people was, when, when that was? Like what, what year was this part that you're describing? So that, this is two years ago okay. that I had this yep. conversation. Well, maybe a year and a half to two years ago that I was talking to this uh, investor. And I'd done a little bit of research and we were just catching up for coffee. He was interested to know the performance of the fund. And we were chatting while we were waiting for his wife, who was also an investor. And he said, oh, what are you up to at the moment? I said, well, I'm actually doing some research on Bitcoin mining at the moment. And his whole body language. And he that's folded right. his arms and he's yeah. like, I thought you were a climate tech investor with sound environmental values or words to that effect. And so this is what I did. And I want to play it back exactly as I did it. Because what happened was this, within 15 minutes, he completely changed his mind. Now, that happened partly because he was open-minded, but partly because of the process that I walked him through. So the first thing I said was not, you're an idiot or you're a fool or no, that's not true. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I did is I just smiled and I said, okay, well, tell me more about uh, what's caused you to say that. So I invited him to speak more, which is the opposite of what most people do who have strong views. The mm -hmm. first thing they do is they come in with their counter view. We haven't even understood their position. So how can I possibly offer something if I don't even understand why he believes that? So the first thing I did was to ask for data. What has caused you to believe what you believe? Then he gives me the data. He says, well, um, it, it's very clear that it uh, is destabilizing grids and um, it's clearly got you know very high energy intensity. Mm. And he said, Okay, cool. So it's high energy intensity and it's destabilizing grids, right? Um, and then I said, are you aware of that? So it's a frame I often use. I said, look, are you aware that most environmentalists these days say that, yes, while energy intensity is correct, uh, is one measure of environmental impact, the more important one is actually emissions. Mm -hmm. And the emissions are actually static at the moment. They're not increasing. 
And you say, oh, I didn't know that. Well, what about destabilizing the grid? I said, well, there's actually a lot of evidence that suggests that they help to stabilize the grid um, and that prov provides an important, and I mentioned the word demand response, knowing that he wouldn't know what he meant. I said, it helps with demand response, which is basically what that means is that because renewables are intermittent, you have to counterbalance that intermittency. So if the sun goes behind a cloud, you have to have flexible users who can immediately power down because if you don't, you've got to fire up a gas peaker plant. Mm -hmm. So if you have flexible users like Bitcoin, it actually stops you needing those gas peaker plants, therefore decarbonizing the grid. And he said, he had one more objection. He said, well, uh, that all sounds well in theory, but there's been no evidence of that coming out in practice. And I said, well, yes, you're right. That was true up until about six months ago. However, there was recently a CNBC news report which documented that said that Bitcoin miners had powered down, the hash rate had gone down by 38%, and they had brought stability to the grid, and that was supported by the grid owner, the grid operator, Brad Jones himself, the CEO of Urkel. He was like, oh, didn't know that. And then he paused for a moment, and then it was kind of like the, the wheels were spinning in his brain, and then he said the most surprising thing. He said, so... Have you considered your next fund being a Bitcoin mining fund? Just like, well, I think 15 it, minutes of conversation was all it took, and it was a 180. Now, I'm not saying that you'll always get that level of complete flip in someone's perspective. Sure. But what I'm saying is that if you're using the, the process of number so I want to walk through uh, what I did here. Number one, don't come in speaking, ask for more data, understand their perspective. Otherwise, it's like you're firing an arrow, but you don't know where the target is. Mm -hmm. So you don't know whether the point you make is actually addressing the reason behind their belief or not. So the first step is actually to find out why they believe what they believe. The second thing is you, you, para you, you do a really good job of listening, and you have to show evidence of listening by paraphrasing back to them what you've heard them say. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is ask for permission. Um, so I also said, well, I've spent a little bit of time researching this. Uh, would you be interested to hear a little of what I've learned? And he says, sure, go ahead. That's a really important question to ask. Do not assume that people want to hear what you have to say. Hmm. Give the power to them and they will actually give it straight back to you. Say, hey, look, I'm happy to take the stage and share some stuff. Um, if you'd like to hear it, if you're interested. And then they have to make a decision. Am I going to participate in a conversation or did I just want to have a debate? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, they say, yes, they're actually agreeing to have a conversation, which is they're agreeing to reciprocate the listening that you have just afforded them and to give that back to you. So now you've got the stage and you don't have to worry about being interrupted. You know, they've said you're interested and you just share data. That's all. So it's not personal. Ask questions of the person. And by walking them through that, stage it's sometimes you can be very targeted in your response because i only needed to address two things and then one follow-up comment mm -hmm. otherwise it would have been the spray and pray approach where i would have just said a whole bunch of stuff hoping that one point would, would have stuck um which doesn't work again that's like i don't know where the target is i'm blindfolded i'm just going to shoot a whole lot of arrows and my strategy that is i fire 100 arrows and surely one of them will hit the target um but even if that's true you're much more likely to hit the target if you're not blindfolded, if you've asked for the data about why they believe. And secondly is that people don't stick around. If they see someone madly firing arrows, they're going to go, oh, man, I'm out of here. They'll tune out yeah. after they hear two things are relevant. So the first thing we say has to address exactly 
why they believe what they believe. Yeah, that makes sense. And one other one other thing that I like that you kind of, I mean, really, really touched on is also just having a relationship with someone or having that that touching point, right? Making this not a theatrical moment, you know, making this a, you can relate to this person. You know, in my own um, world, you know, a lot of times I'll get from friends or whatever, more and more, it's like, oh, so you run a crypto podcast. Like, you know, tell me about your crypto mm-hmm. podcast. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. it's a Bitcoin podcast. Um, but second, I usually kind of make a joke. And then yeah. a lot of the times I lead off with it, they're like, you know, I'll say, oh yeah, the um, the human rights connection really really got to me um Mm, on this mm. and a lot of times it'll be i'll kind of leak it out to my friends every now and again or post on like a personal instagram account or something and then my friends will get curious so a lot of times Mm. with people i know i try to approach them once i already know there's a bit of curiosity right so you had described too there's some of those people that are just they're they're hopeless in the sense of being so militantly against something because of whatever source their confirmation bias right you know, for, for the time being, ignoring those camps, those people that you're, you're willing to engage with because you know there's some sort of openness, uh, either because you see it through their actions or because you have a personal relationship and you know that's the kind of person they are. So my approach has been that, that human rights or those things and that, that curiosity. And, you know, like you said, 15 minutes, that's not going to happen every time. But it also mm. doesn't surprise me because there's very few times where someone from the normal world will have someone break it down just like you did for them, right? So having the patience and knowledge to do that in a really simple way, you know, you'd be surprised how how often that just does not happen in our world on any number yeah. of topics, Bitcoin included. And, and the other thing I want to, like, you, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, that's okay for you, Daniel, but you have spent a long time researching that. I don't have so much knowledge. I just want to reassure you, you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to know the knowledge. Most of the knowledge I have is simply to support the claims that I now make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole purpose and what I'm doing and what other people are doing, what you're doing, is that we spend a whole lot of time doing the proof of work to do the research, but then we're sharing it so that other people don't have to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. They can just recycle what we've discovered and take those talking points and take that data and use that. So you don't have to do a huge amount of research. You just have to know what the people who are doing the research um, have done, have uncovered, so that you can recycle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a, a number of people now who've come up and said, hey, Daniel, I've stolen your charts and I've used them to orange pill my investment committee. And I'm like, cool, that's okay. why I created them. Yeah. Oh, that's why Willie Woo created them with me. Yeah. You know, That's why we, we created them, because we wanted them to be used that way. And we knew that the language of ESG investment committees is charts, mm-hmm. is data, is little lines which are showing that the sustainable energy is going like this yep. and the emission intensity is going like this and the emissions is going like this over time, that it's not increasing with some trend lines attached. Uh, so again, if, the more that we can share data, um, the better, the easier that's going to make it for people. And so you don't have to know everything. You just have to know a few talking points uh, and that'll do you much more good. Yeah. I think another point is like knowing knowing your audience. Like you just said, like you knew these these investment groups, these ESG committees. You know the language they speak and, and breathe, right? And so on my end, like I know a lot of progressives. I know a lot of folks yeah, on the yeah, left. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's going to be not going to be my first take if I'm talking to the head of an NGO. Yeah. Um, if it's that person, then yes, it'll probably be talking about human rights. Yeah. So you're more likely to meet with a viewpoint such as. Uh, so what I first understood Bitcoin to be was a speculative asset. 
Uh, and then I read some articles and some mainstream media mm. and they said it wastes a whole lot of energy. So now my viewpoint is it's a speculative asset that has no value. Mm-hmm. That's bad for the environment. So now I believe three things. Right. And so it's understanding that when we're countering people, often they will have not one belief, but they'll have layered beliefs. So I have three. And it's knowing, well, which one? It's like legs of a table. If I can knock out one leg of the table, then the whole table will start to collapse. Mm-hmm. But knowing which one to go for first, and you're quite right, often it's the human rights one. So people might say something like, well, it has no inherent value. Um, it's, it's just a waste of energy. It does nothing productive for society. And again, rather than going and saying, well, that's not true because, because now you've put the other person on defensive, you've made them wrong. Mm-hmm. You say, you might say something more like, well, I could, I can understand why you'd say that. That was what I initially thought myself. Now something very important has happened. Uh, and this is a key technique to being able to influence people. Whilst you're not going to agree with your perspective, there are some things you can agree with. Mm-hmm. You can agree to be in rapport with them. You can agree to treat them with respect. You can agree that they have a right to hold that perspective, and you can agree that it's understandable the logic they use to get to that perspective. So there's a whole bunch of things you can agree with. Start there. And then when you come to the disagreement, it's not a yes but, it's a yes and. And so this is really important. This is something I learned from theater improvisation. There's only three rules in theater improvisation. It's say yes and, uh, take and make offers, and make the other person look good. And those same three rules apply for any conversation if you want it to go well, yeah. even if you're talking to someone who has an oppositional view. Make them look good. Don't make them look like a fool mm-hmm. or make them feel like you're, you're challenging them or their moral fiber or their intellect or some deeply core-held belief not at all. Um, you're very not if your goal is to try to uh, move someone to a, a greater understanding. That is, mm-hmm. so be in agreement with their right to have it, and you'll see their body language will actually soften, yeah. and, and they'll be receptive. And then you might ask a question, say, "Well, look, I'm just curious. Why do you say what leads you to believe that it has no value?" And that's a really interesting question because uh, the reason they believe it has no value is they haven't discovered value. Mm-hmm. It's not because they've read some article which has comprehensively said, we have investigated every single claim Bitcoiners have made about its value and we have debunked everyone systematically. It's simply because they haven't found it. When you ask them that question, it's like, well, they'll probably stumble up and say, okay, well, what value does it have? And, and then you might say something like, well, interesting thing is that unlike every other technology, which is usually used in the West first and then in the uh, global South last, mm-hmm. when we're done with it, Bitcoin works the other way around. Mm-hmm. And most of the people who are receiving most of the value are actually in the global South. Yeah. And that's the reason why people like us, we don't often see it. So again, you're making the other person, you're not making them wrong. You're saying people like us, you know, we don't see it. Um, so it's understandable why you'd assume that. Can I share some of the stories that I've, that I've heard firsthand from people in the global South and how they're using Bitcoins as a tool for human rights, for financial sovereignty? Um, to escape financial colonialism and suppression by an autocratic authority. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, sure, go ahead. And, and now you're in a dialogue. Now they're curious again. So again, there's a way where you can navigate towards that where you're not trying to shove an idea down their throat. Mm-hmm. You're testing to see whether they're interested. You're acknowledging they, that you can understand why they believe what they believe and just asking questions rather than making statements to get into a conversation. And look, if they say, no, I'm not interested, it's all greenwash, then it's like, okay, no trouble. You're welcome to hold your belief. 
Yeah. And I'm always like, you know where to deploy your energy elsewhere. Right. And and we can always welcome them back six months later, a year later, maybe never. That's okay. Um, but, but I think one thing too, to never, I always try to remind myself because I'm so in this community, but so much of my daily life, I'm also not, but, but just not forgetting that there's so much unlearning that happens with, with Bitcoin. Mm. I was talking to a friend the other day, just about Bitcoin. It was a longer conversation, like over an hour. And the amount of information I was saying, and not in and not in trying to sound like, you know, Bitcoin never fails or the government's gonna there's you know the, there's gonna be decoupling tomorrow and Bitcoin it just very normal things about well, there was this thing the 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 gold standard the Bitcoin standard the gold standard you know all of these just principles of money, different historical facts stuff about Bitcoin yeah. mining just it was and this person's a very intelligent person just the did not know the first thing about any of this. And I, I did not mm-hmm. say it in a way of like, oh, stupid, you should know this. It's because I did not know mm-hmm. any of this until about two years ago. And so then yeah. you start learning these things and convey it in a way that doesn't make it sound like you're trying to whisper about, well, I guess aliens are a bit more popular in mainstream these days, but whatever, just you know, uh, about like the Loch Ness Monster and say, well, this is this thing and join our secret cults in the woods, you know, make it. Yeah. And again, again, the more you can quantify it, I I got into an interesting uh, discussion with Jeff Booth about this, where he said, look, really the the biggest uh, ESG argument in favor of Bitcoin is the fact that it ends uh, fiat malinvestment in a consumption fueled economy. And I said, Mm -hmm. look, actually, I agree with you. I think that is the major benefit. I said, and that's also the hardest one to quantify for people right now. Mm So the, the reason that I focus on, because sometimes people say, well, why don't you focus on that in your message? And the reason is very simple. It's not that I don't think it's the biggest use case I do. Uh, if we can end a consumption-fueled economy, I mean, that just that, that's good for the environment in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But the problem is with that, that's a, that's a fantasy for a lot of people. If you already know and believe Bitcoin, you believe that'll be the future. But for a lot of people, they're saying, well, that depends on a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to get multiple nation states getting behind Bitcoin as the standard before that can happen. Or how do we know that's going to happen? That's a legitimate question. And then also it's like, well, how can you quantify that? How can you quantify how, has any studies been done? And the answer is no, it hasn't. So rather than spend a long time there, I prefer to spend time on the things that you absolutely can quantify. Like, that's why I talk about methane mitigation, for example. And, and I might ask a question and say, well, if they've made a claim that's bad for the environment, you might say, well, do you know that, are you aware that Bitcoin is the, currently the only industry that's mitigating 6% of its emissions without having to use carbon credits or offsets? Mm. Like what? Hey? How? Well, it does that through this thing called methane mitigation. What's that? Oh, well, it, one of the things, now, see, now you're explaining and you're educating, but educating with a point to changing a viewpoint. So look, one of the unique things about Bitcoin mining is you can put Bitcoin mines anywhere. They don't care. And they tend to be really good at, because such a high proportion of their operating budget is electricity, they will go to the edge of the earth to scavenge cheap electricity in places that just doesn't make economic sense for other people. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they've done is they've set up these operations in places like landfills um, where they're now using methane that was going into the atmosphere and they're now channeling it into generators so that methane's no longer going to the atmosphere and they're destroying that methane and that's mitigating huge quantities of carbon equivalent emissions mm-hmm. and the net effect to that is that if we total up what's happening in landfills and flare gas on oil fields it's mitigating six percent of the entire industry's emissions there's no other industry in the world that can do that right now mm-hmm. 
people are like, oh, huh, interesting. So again, we can quantify that. And that people can grapple with that. And you can say, not only is it 6%, but it's growing. And in fact, if we did just 35 landfills that were venting, that would be enough for Bitcoin to offset its entire emissions, which would make it the first industry in the world that goes greenhouse negative with off- without offsets. No one has ever done that. And you say, and it gets even better because we don't have to stop that. We can just keep on going. And now it's actually becoming greenhouse negative. It's now em- emitting fewer emissions then it is offsetting. So it can actually be part of the solution. So the more we can quantify, the more we can bring it to that, to your point earlier about immediacy, we can bring some immediacy to those arguments. Um, that's what's going to start to change people's minds more than getting into things that sound like in the future, things that aren't quantifiable, and things that rest more on a large number of things happening or adopting a certain ideology mm-hmm. uh, to, to believe that it's going to occur. The reason psychologically that quantification is very important, um, if I just say it mitigates some emissions, again, that sounds like greenwash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got into a conversation with someone who is very anti-Bitcoin, who knows about methane mitigation in the environmental um, movement, and he, he wanted to know exactly that. He said, it sounds like greenwash, but how much does it mitigate? And he even said, look, if it was something like 10%, that would be huge. I said, well, it's not far off. It's currently six. And he was like, wow, that's actually really good. Mm. So we know that this is the way we're going to start to get these people on side. So what happens is, the analogy I'll use is this. If I'm driving in a car and you're sitting next to me in the car, and now you can't see it right now, uh, but I have vision correction. I wear contacts, so I have minus four in each eye, which means that if I take my contacts out, I can see you okay on my screen, but but people who are a few feet away from me start to look blurry. Mm. Uh, and it means that legally, I'm not allowed to drive without vision correction. So if I took my contacts out and I drove, not only would I be breaking the law, but I'd also be subjecting you to a really scary experience, right? <laughs> and if you knew that I normally wore vision correction and wouldn't, you'd be probably freaking out at that point, particularly when you see me start to swerve. And so the, re- the thing is that all I've done is I've taken, I can still make out shapes, I can still see people, I'm not blind, but they're just a little bit fuzzy around the edges, that little bit of fuzziness is the difference between you willingly sitting in the passenger seat next to me, relaxed, happy to go on this journey, versus you freaking out, me freaking out, and probably everyone else on the road freaking out. Mm. So sometimes people say, well, why is it so important that we quantify, that we bring things into the sharp focus? It's important because otherwise you're asking people to commit to an idea, to literally get in the passenger seat next to you as you're driving these points, which are out of focus. And it's going to be scary for them. It's going to be scary for them considering adopting your uh, viewpoint or coming to your view of the world because you haven't created a clear picture for them to see. Mm-hmm. So I, I just cannot um, emphasize this enough, that that final mile of replacing fuzzy language with quantified language is what is going to bring a whole lot more people on board and say, no, this is no longer scary. And the fear, of course, is... It's fear that I may commit to an idea and find out that I was uh, greenwashed. That's the fear that a lot of people in the environmental movement and NGOs, human rights movement, um, on the political left, uh, that's the fear that they will have. So we need to be mindful of that and give them the data so that they know that this is sufficiently quantified. This, there's no way this is greenwash. Um, the supporting data is there. And these benefits are occurring right now 
and they are trending in a net positive direction right now. And here's the evidence. One thing that I'll say, just coming into this space, being a progressive, being someone that cares about climate change and all of this, I also can't ha- overstate the amount of misinformation there is on energy consumption and on incentives for people that can do something about um, climate tech. So one thing that I've talked to friends a lot about is, you know, the only arguments a lot of us heard growing up and even still through our undergrad days and through climate action, things like this was we need to consume less energy and corporations need to just be less greedy. So I was in that camp for a while, right? Yes, let's consume less. Yes, corporations are greedy assholes, this and that. And a it's lot what of the it, uh, environmentalist Saul Griffiths calls hair shirt environmentalism. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of that, like I, I still can can understand and see where people are coming from. But then I think over time, I got more and more tired. This was even before Bitcoin, so just slightly before saying nothing is changing in terms of you know the the greenhouse gas emissions and, and including global temperature this and that. Fortunately, unfortunately, some of these greedy assholes, if something's actually going to be done, gosh, we kind of need them to just stop and we can't rely on them doing, quote, the right thing, right? So these incentives, this greed, whatever you want to call it, for lack of better terms for for some people, these things really matter, right? And we're not going to just consume less energy. Um, There's a lot of reasons where we should consume more energy. So if, if you're talking with someone, uh, that's a conversation that I have a tough time with sometimes that maybe I'll practice some of your your principles you were describing to have a better conversation is, you know, when people are like, oh, we can't consume more. It's, it's hard not to get frustrated once you understand how some of these things work. But here's, here's one of the things you can say. You can yeah, say, yeah. Well, what's more, what do you think is more important to you? Is it is it really energy consumption or is it emissions that you're concerned with? And they Great might say point. emissions or, yeah. or they might say, well, well, both. Yeah, uh, because more energy means more proliferation and more total cost of uh, of energy over the life cycle of equipment. You say, okay, and then you might just say again a question. Well, well what if that energy is coming from a greenhouse negative source? Hmm. Well, what do you mean? Well, what if what if for example you don't even mention Bitcoin? You say, for example, uh, if natural gas comes from a pipeline, then it's that's emission positive because it would have stayed in the ground. Mm-hmm. But what if it's gas that would have gone into the air? What if it's venting? into the air, and somehow you're able to capture that, send it to a generator, so you're actually reducing emissions and using that. Would, would that be a bad use of energy? Would that be good? I said, well, will that be good? But that sounds mythical. And see, mm-hmm. now they've acknowledged that actually not all forms of energy consumption are bad in their worldview. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can, you can say, look, use an analogy. Look, it's a little bit like food. Um, you, you might look at someone and say they need to eat less food. That's not true. They need to eat less of certain types of food. But they actually need to eat more of other sorts. They need to eat more of these green leafy vegetables or more fresh fruit, et cetera, et cetera, um, but less of certain other types. And it's the same with energy. We need to be using less energy, which is coming from these forms, which is contributing to carbon emissions, but a whole lot more of forms which are flexible, which are stranded, uh, which are carbon neutral or better still, even greenhouse negative. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? And they say, yeah, well, absolutely. But how is that possible? Now they're curious. You say, well, here's the amazing, here's the amazing thing. It turns out that Bitcoin just happens to be the single best technology for using stranded energy, wasted energy, renewable energy, and yes, greenhouse negative energy in the world. And that actually flips the equation. So all these arguments about it uses a lot of energy, that actually has the potential to be the strongest environmental use case for Bitcoin. Yeah. Huh. 
Okay. Now that's totally scrambled people's brain because you've taken that argument about energy and rather than, oh, well, other people use more than us, you said, no, no, it does use a lot of energy. And that's a good thing. In fact, the biggest problem is that it doesn't use enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but because of its flexibility, this can actually be a real positive. Now, they're going to want to see some evidence that it's trending in the right direction and all these things, as they should. Yeah. Uh, but then again, it's about saying, well, look, the reality is today uh, that Bitcoin hasn't got there yet. It's still emitting way more emissions than it's mitigating. You say, and that's true of any novel technology. Mm -hmm. It's only been 13 years. We and this is why I use a solar analogy. And it says, zoom out, zoom out. So, look, do you know how many years it took the solar energy to pay off its carbon debt? It was invented in 1954. It didn't pay off its carbon debt, according to one study, until 2011. You know, that's, a, that's a lot of years. That's what, more than 50 years before it yeah. paid off its carbon debt. 56, I think it was 2010. 56 years it took. 56 years. Bitcoin's only been around for 13 years, but the evidence is that it can pay off its carbon debt much faster than solar. Mm -hmm. And so then again, we're giving the context where we're saying you've got to zoom out and then you can say things such as, well, look, if we apply the same logic we're applying to Bitcoin, which is it's emitting emissions, therefore we should ban it. We would have banned solar. We would have banned wind. We would have banned any novel technology which is currently having a good to the planet. What I say is as a climate tech investor, every single technology I've ever invested in has a carbon footprint and will continue to have a carbon footprint probably for at least another 15 years probably much longer than that, but I invest knowing the trajectory and believing that it has the potential over time to not only mitigate that carbon footprint, but to cause a positive for the world. And that's the same tack that every single climate tech investor takes. They know that it has a carbon footprint, but they invest with the due diligence and the knowledge that it has the potential to not only mitigate that, but mitigate substantially more. Bitcoin has that potential too. So again, it totally changes the frame. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to to make sure to ask too, and one thing I'm trying to focus on, um, been having a lot of conversations with folks recently, even just one today, which was just such a coincidence in terms of talking with you now about, you know, what is our our mission and focus at the Progressive Bitcoiner with what we're focusing on? Because once you learn about Bitcoin, there's so many different areas to to focus on so many different things to focus on. You know, sometimes I'm like, we, you know, we've got progressive Bitcoiners that listen. We've got people that know who you are listening and hearing this. Um, we've got some people that trickle in. Sometimes I'm like, we need to focus just on newbies and just have basic conversation. You know, it's kind of all over the place. And then it's been clicking for me a little bit more recently. I wouldn't argue this is our sole mission statement, but I want something for progressives in the left to get excited about again. And that is Bitcoin. And I think that mm. is starting to shift for me as more of a focus. I think it's a great focus. Going into the having, going into a political cycle when, because, you know, coming from where I did, I don't think progressives in the United States, and there's so many other local contexts where people, kind of our global audience, a lot of folks will tune in and will compare it to their own situation at home. They'll kind of take what I talk about with US. There's always a local context for some of these things. Um, but progressives in the United States haven't really been super jazzed about something since Occupy that fizzled out and then Bernie, and then that completely yeah. fizzled out. It was kind of like Obama, yeah. Occupy, Bernie. And then since like 2017, you know, I, I don't have like strong data and things. Like, I mean, there is some data about younger voters and all of these things, right? But in terms of just a lot of people I know in the space have pulled back from politics in general. A lot of progressives have kind of, there's not really much 
cause they're pushing for besides just hitting a brick wall and anger on things, right? They don't want to support yeah. Joe Biden. They want to, they don't want to support an administration or or this and that. I think it's a fantastic intention. And that, that's one of the, you know, the core principles that I write about as well is before you start speaking is to check in what's your intention. Yeah. Because a lot of the time we don't, and that's the risk. If we're in a conversation with somebody saying Bitcoin's bad for the environment and we haven't asked ourselves, well, what's my intention in responding to this person? Then there's a risk we may default to the emotions we feel when they uh, bag on something that we care about deeply, which is to get defensive and to forget our human empathy. So asking ourselves that question, what's the intention? And well, it's probably not to make the other person feel small. It's probably not to come away with um, smoke pouring out of my ears. And it's probably not that the other person has an entrenched viewpoint as a result of me not doing a great job of uh, basic human empathy. Mm. The intention might be something more like uh, to find out whether that person is interested in a conversation. And if they are, to introduce some data they haven't yet uncovered and to come away feeling like we've respected that person and we've opened them up to a new possibility if they were open. That might be an intent. Now, if we have that intention, it's going to completely influence how we communicate. So same thing with you. Having that intention, which I think is fantastic, which is to make uh, progressivism something which is inspiring to people again, to give them this new cause for hope after there's been these three in a row, which has been knocked down and um, Occupy, as you said, Joe Biden, Bernie, it's like, well, what's next? Well, what's yeah. next is Bitcoin because that's something that not only hasn't it been knocked down, but the evidence is it's it's not going to be knocked down. It's the only grassroots movement in recent time that is actually working. It's yeah. a people's movement that's working. It's something that cuts out the central bankers that's working. And it's empowering people in the global south. It's creating financial equality. It has the potential to remove all the vestiges of uh, creation of wealth disparity mm-hmm. through limited supply and all those things we know about and take time to explain to other people patiently. There's so much for progressive to get incredibly excited about. And you having that intention is going to allow them to come on board. So you're saying, hey, it's not just for Bitcoiners listening to other Bitcoiners talking about why Bitcoin's great. I agree, that's that's limited. It's got to be something beyond that. Mm-hmm. But but what else can it be? You know, can it be seeding this movement? Can it be creating that bridge? That's inspiring. And that's going to influence the way you do your podcast, the guests you bring on, how you communicate, how you um, uh, promote this uh, to external communities, the people you engage and send it to. Everything changes because your intention is different. Yeah. So it's tremendously important. All communication starts with intention. And then the second thing right after intention is you drop it. Because you can't control what happens, right? Yeah. You can make the best effort in the world to, to have that be your intention, but you can't control that. The people are going to control that. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can listen and get feedback and data about whether your approach is working or not and pivot your message and things. But fundamentally, that's beyond your control. Uh, to think that you have con- total control on whether your intention is going to be realized or not, that's thinking like a central banker. Mm. Um, and it's not in our DNA to think that way. It's the people who will decide. So then you let go and you're just unattached. And then something funny happens. If you are clear on your intention, but you're not attached to whether the other person gets on board with your message or not, you're actually much more likely to influence people. Mm. Because if you're attached to an outcome, like I I want this other person to believe what I believe through my communicating to them, I've just treated them like a pawn in my chess game. Yeah. And people can feel that. 
they can feel the difference. Whereas someone is interested in treating us with respect, they want to give us a chance to learn some stuff, but they're not attached to what we do with it. They can feel that too. And they're really respected and it makes us a good deal more influential. Gosh, I feel like I just had a, a session with an executive coach during this conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, th this is the type of conversations. And, you know, one thing I want to try to do, especially with this one is put out this conversation to audiences that need to hear about environmental cases for Bitcoin. Yes, but also just need to see that, that like what I'm hoping is Bitcoin can reawaken progressives in the left. And yes, yeah. if someone else who isn't in that camp, because there are many, what I find funny too, there's many European listeners, many African listeners that will listen. And they're like, Anita Posh said it beautifully to me when, when uh, her and I chatted a few months ago. She's like, I, I didn't really know what progressive is. And I'm like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like some people are listening. They're like, well, I'm like, in the US, it means something. In a lot of other places, you might share that value set. It doesn't set. have the same meaning. Yeah. Right. Or you might just enjoy the person that I have on. Like, I don't really care. I'm going to tailor it wanting to reawaken the left and progressives and people that care about the environment human rights and social inequality. Many others I want to tell you, I want to tell you why, that, why I think that's important because I made the, the claim before that I think that it's, it's more important. Mm -hmm. So I want to give a bit of data to back that up. Sure. So when I was speaking at the Gano, um, my talk was not one of the most attended talks by far. Uh, people were much more likely to attend talks by Adam Beck and Jimmy Song and, um, and all some of the OGs and for obvious reasons and, and as they should. Um, so it wasn't one of the least attended talks. It was pro probably somewhere in the middle. What happened since, however, was that the, the talk I gave was by far the most watched talk of any of the talks of the conference. And the reason that's true is that it's had a very strong appeal outside the Bitcoin ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Because people inside the Bitcoin ecosystem, they don't actually care that much about a lot of the things that Bitcoiners like to talk about. They don't mm -hmm. care so much about um, how we're using cryptography to create secure network and to help um, with human rights. I mean, I find it fascinating, but those aren't the things that people are generally fascinated by. What they're fascinated with is the idea that Bitcoin could be a force for good for the environment and a force for good socially, mm -hmm. particularly if it challenges their existing thinking. And if it has a bold claim attached to it, they're fascinated by that idea. Yeah, And so that's Again, I say this is an idea whose time has come. So the work you're doing is important. I don't think you could have had that intention a year ago, Trey, mm -hmm. but because of what's happened this year, because people are more receptive, because of the sheer volume of positive journalistic articles mm -hmm. and scientific articles and the obvious shift in the narrative and the KPMG report and the IRM report and, yep. and all the rest of it, Bloomberg, Financial Times, The Independent Today, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's been such a clear narrative shift that now people are starting to open up and to be ready for it. So you're not just going to be called uh, the craziest person on earth, which is what someone on Twitter called me from the environmental movement when I started these messages about a year and a half ago. Wow. You're gonna, you might get some of that, but you'll get less. And if you do, who cares? Yeah. Uh, so I think this is a message whose time has come and you're in a perfect position to do that. Well, I, I appreciate that, Daniel. And I, I hope people take value from this conversation, which I, I know they will. People love hearing from you and, and your approach. And for folks listening, try what Daniel has said. We're, we're going to advertise your book and want people to definitely get, get a copy of that. Try what Daniel said. And if you're new to the pod, you're intrigued by whatever title we come up with, whatever else we, we put out about um, the podcast or this conversation, I hope that you also dig into articles that I'll reference in the show notes uh, for, for other conversations you've given and just dig more into Bitcoin's positive impact 
on the environment and, and Bitcoin's sustainability and Bitcoin being the greatest ESG asset, as as Daniel would claim, and I would I would agree with that claim. Um, and, and thank you so much, Daniel. You're always welcome on this show. Any conversation we want to have. Um, is there anywhere in particular you want to? I'll do the age-old question of wherever you want to send folks to. Yeah, where, where should people go to? Uh, if people like going into the weeds of the data, they can go to batcoins.com. That's B-A-T-C-O-I-N-Z for people in the States. And no, it is, not a, it, is not a shit, it is not a shit coin. You know, you're a Bitcoiner. It's it is your a, website. No, no, it's not. It is a, it's a, it's a pun on uh, my second name, yep. Batten and Bitcoin, which felt like a good idea at the time. Yeah. And so they can go there if they want the data and the articles. Otherwise, if they just want to follow uh, me, then um, at DS Batten on X, and uh, I'm also on Nostra and posting more regularly there as well. Yeah. Same handle. Yeah. Awesome, my friend. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, be well. I'm sure the next time we'll chat, hopefully there will be 30 more uh, celebratory moments of, of articles and all sorts of different stuff. But it's it's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. Great. Great to chat.